Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah the Almighty, um, welcome to the breakfast show. Uh, it's uh, 7.04 and today is Monday, the 23rd of October 2023. And uh, I will be your host today. My name is Usman Manan and I'm joined by Imam Nabil Bhatti. Assalamu peace be upon you. Um, Nabil, how are you? I'm good, Amrullah. How are you? I'm good as well. Thank you very much. So today we have some interesting topics um, to discuss about. Um, the first one is, we call it Go Sober October. Well, we didn't call this, but this is why it's called Go Sober October. Um, it's encouraging people to go sober for the month of October to raise money for charities. And uh, um, also, on top of that, you have also the health benefits of going alcohol-free and trying how it is for a month and later on um, we will be talking about our second topic in the second segment we will discuss what is the key to work and life balance Um, as you know in this uh, advanced world everyone is you know rushing everything is fast-paced nobody has time for anything Um, so where where do we put our families in this in this time period where do we put our work and how do we balance everything out? But to start off, uh, we'll we'll start with the news headlines and uh, look into the news segments and what's happening around nowadays. <clears throat> to start off, um, the Times says that Suela Beverman plans to hold a meeting with the Met Chief Sir Mark Rowley following the London protest. The story nestles underneath a photo of a vigil in central London held in memory of the hostages taken by Hamas a fortnight ago. And the Daily Mail says the Home Secretary will be demanding an explanation at her meeting with the Met Police bosses. The paper, the paper's headline uses the term Suela's Fury. Next to the main headline, the Mail pictures Prince Harry at the US Grand Prix in Texas alongside Red Bull chief Christian Horner. Still not met in the Daily Telegraph. The cartoonist is still off, but the paper is packed with stories on the front, including one on Britain's most senior civil servant, Cabinet Secretary Simon Case, who is taking some time off work for a private medical matter. And the broadsheet also carries a long story about Swella Beverman's planned meeting with Met Police Commissioner Sir Mac Rowley. Monday's I newspaper also touches on rising tension in the Middle East, but the lead story focuses on claims Suela Beverman's Rwanda policy is falling apart. According to the paper, civil servants in the Home Secretary's own, de- own, own department say she risks boxing herself in with the legal duty to deport small boat migrants that she is unable to fulfill. In response, the Home Official <clears throat> said the Illegal Migration Act will ensure illegal immigrants will not have their asylum claims considered in the UK and instead will be detained and swiftly removed. Outrage on Central Line, says a headline on the front of the sun, as the paper talks about an incident on Saturday where a tube driver appeared to lead passengers in a pro-Palestinian chant. Investigations by the police and transport for London continue. Some papers continue to pay tribute to the late great Sir Bobby Charlton, who died over the weekend at the age of 86. 
The England and Manchester United legend features in a picture on the front of the Daily Mirror with his brother Jack Charlton. Their younger sibling, Tommy Charlton, tells the tabloid the two will be together again. He and Jack were everybody's heroes, Tommy says. Pictures of floral tributes being laid outside of Old Trafford in memory of Sir Bobby Charlton catch the eye on the front of the Guardian. Elsewhere, the lead story focuses on pressure growing on Israel to negotiate release of Gaza's hostages. The paper says families who were given a glimmer of hope by the release of two US citizens fear time is running out before a ground invasion. An aerial view of Gaza buildings destroyed by airstrikes dominates the front pages of Monday's Metro as it says Israel is nothing up up its preparations to blitz Hamas. Underneath, the lead story is a bit closer to home as the Met Office warns winter is coming as forecasters issues, issue concerns over ice in parts of uh, Scotland and northern England in the wake of Storm Babbitt. Uh, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is quoted in the lead story in the Financial Times, expressing his concerns about potential escalation of fighting in the Middle East region. Washington is sending more air defense systems to the areas as Israel continues its bombardment of Gaza, but Austin warns U.S. troops face the risk of attacks against them as tensions rise. Finally, there's a new hope for bold people in the Daily Star, which claims scientists have found where the genes come from. The tabloid also features a story about former criminal Dave Courtney, who was found dead in south-east London over the weekend at the age of 64. He is said to have once been an associate of the Cray Twins. So a number of front pages um, lead on the Suella government's meeting uh, this Monday, and a number of them have uh, been talking about the Israel and Hamas war, and also featuring some newspapers mentioned the death of um, Tommy Charlton's brother, Bobby Charlton from Manchester United. So uh, some interesting news, and we will be discussing this in a bit more detail after a short break. <laughs> Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Peace be upon you. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show. Uh, we are discussing the news at the moment, and uh, I have my friend Nabil Bhatti with me, who will be going through uh, what's happening in the Middle East. 
Um, so BBC just released an update of what has happened in the last few hours um, just to give you a gist of the summary so our um, listeners are up to date so in the last few hours um, overnight strikes in Gaza have killed or injured large numbers of people according to the Hamas run interior ministry there have also been reports of explosions in several hospitals some of which Hamas claims were the result of Israel airstrikes an Israeli military spokesperson has told the BBC that they are checking these claims. An Israeli soldier um, was killed in Gaza while searching for hostages, while several others were wounded, says the Israeli military. The leaders of US, UK, Canada, France, Germany and Italy used a joint call to reiterate their support for Israel's right to defend itself against terrorism, but also calls for their adherence to international human humanitarian law. Dutch PM Mark Root and French President Emmanuel Macron will visit Israel next week. A second humanitarian convoy compromised of 14 trucks carrying aid was allowed to enter Gaza on Sunday, bringing what Martin Griffins, the UN's Under-Secretary-General for Humanitarian Affairs, called a small glimmer of hope to the people in the territory. President Biden spoke to Israel President Prime Minister Benjamin Tanyu and later said that the two affirmed that there will be a continued flow of this critical aid to Palestinians in need. Aid agencies say that they need unfettered access to Gaza. Israel's far-right security minister Itmair Ben-Gavir said that there should be no guarantee of continuous aid to the territory unless Hamas you know, condemns its attacks. Um, Israel's military said its aircraft had struck two cells inside Lebanon that were planning to launch anti-tank missiles and rockets towards Israeli territory. So um, this is just a summary, an update of what's happened so far, um, which the BBC has given. Moving over to the sports, um, world champion Lewis Hamilton has been disqualified for those Formula One fans um, as Max Verstappen wins. So Lewis Hamilton was disqualified from second place in the U.S. Grand Prix after running uh, Max Verstappen's Red Bull close for a victory. Hamilton was just two seconds behind Verstappen at the flag, but his car was later declared illegal for excessive wear on the underfloor skid blocks. Ferrari's Charles suffered the same fate after finishing sixth. Hamilton's disqualification promoted McLaren's Lando Norris to second and Ferrari's Carlos Sainz to third Hamilton passed Norris for a second in the final last, but ran out of time to catch Verstappen for the lead. So, um, so basically, for those listeners who don't know what skid blocks are, the skid blocks are in place to prevent teams running cars too low, which can be a potential aerodynamic advantage. Um, so, due to that, Lewis Hamilton was disqualified. And um, yeah, hmm. there's a lot of like complicated uh, things in F1 as well. If you don't watch the sport. Uh, I I don't watch that sport, but I've I watched the interview of Lewis Hamilton, and he was like explaining all the work he has to put in. Uh, where if you think driving is just you know it depends on the car, yeah, it's not the case. Like in F1, the the driver itself has to has a certain body shape. So he was mentioning that if you work out too much on your upper body, 
you you kind of uh, your gravity center goes higher mm. and then on every turn you might lose a few milliseconds yeah. because of your your top ha- being heavier than your bottom yeah exactly and then that's that that can cost you the race yeah so there's uh, so much like detail which goes into this and i think this is also the reason why this um if he if he put his car too low that can give him a huge advantage definitely in definitely definitely small things yeah but one more thing is that a lot of people think that you know the the amount of effort that's put into formula 1 cars and that every detail has to be to precise you know um moment for the car to actually work because i had the opportunity to actually go and visit a formula 1 um uh engineering department where they showed that how they the every part of the car is before it's actually applied to the car itself is 3d printed and they mm-hmm. go through four five tests to see how that part works under pressure so they have like a device where it measures um is color coded so if it's blue right uh, in the certain um areas of the part um that means it's doing well under pressure once it hits red that means like if there's like a small part of the pedal if it hits red mm. under pressure that means it's more likely to crack under the pressure while driving so that's the 3d printer stage and then move on to the visual stage etc using a simulator so there's a lot of um this way of course there's a lot of money that goes into it as well um and yeah, you definitely. know just to <coughs> see um these high performance um vehicles to move yeah again i i've seen like some movies as well they explain um how this um started right in the beginning one of them was um it's called Ford versus Ferrari mm. it's a really good movie it's, it it shows you how how much detail that one person puts yeah. into making the car it's it's not like a job for him he's he feels like this is my property this is like my my friend mm. so every every single detail you have to feel it yeah and make sure uh that it's not just about speed it's about endurance it's about um uh you know you need to keep the weight low and performance high so many difficult things uh also mentioning in that interview Lewis Hamilton also mentioned um like a, like a funny comment that he he has to do like a lot of squats because he needs to make sure his like legs and glutes are kind of stronger and heavier than for the top. g-forces always yeah. yeah yeah definitely definitely and on top of that um you uh, you probably seen somewhere uh, on the internet people doing um there's a there's a neck simulator mm. for formula 1 drivers yeah, yeah. and it pulls your neck which shows the 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 gravity force of each turn yeah, yeah. and uh, a normal human an ordinary person can he can't resist too much pressure mm. his neck is going to break Definitely. so they have to work a lot on their neck because imagine you're going at like 200 or 250 miles per hour turning sharply left or right your neck is going to be flying everywhere exactly. especially with the sudden breaks as well yeah. going back and forth so yeah definitely has an impact mm. definitely definitely and on another another interview I saw there was a normal person he went for a formula 1 like a test drive and uh, he was you know driving he would, he put press the brake he said i pressed as hard as i can calling yeah he he barely stopped and and the guy who who was kind of um, instructing him he said oh well done you reached about 40% of the brake pressure yeah that's crazy he, uh, normally a race driver presses yeah. 40% it's not the and same he, as normal cars <laughs> he's not yeah and he said like i pressed as hard as i can and that was only 40% yeah. and and the formula 1 drivers have to press 100% every single time yes to yeah. you know get the biggest advantage mm. so this is i mean this is a this is a sport yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely yeah it is since we're talking about sport another i think the biggest sport in the world is football and um, i think uh, 
Mr. Nabil here supports Arsenal. Unfortunately, you didn't get the three points this weekend. Yeah, we didn't. Luckily, Chelsea, although gave a good game, um, I'm surprised they didn't take it. Um, but we managed to get a point out of it. Um, we're still the, I think it's us and Tottenham. We haven't been beaten this, um, around this time. Um, we haven't lost any games. And we've drew and won games. Yeah, it's, it's, tight, it's a tight table, I think, for the top four. Um, it's a points difference. Aston Villa mm. also having a really good game going to the table. Yeah, so the, the standings right now, uh, Man City on top, obviously. Arsenal is second. And then we have Liverpool and Tottenham. I think Tottenham have a game today, so if they win that, they're on top of the table mm. with two points advantage. I'm surprised, you know, the Tottenham outspurs. Uh, they're doing well after Kane left. What yeah, you, to, you can what say. What do you have to say about this? Maybe they were relying on Kane too much to pull them through. But you can't say it's Kane's fault though, because Kane's doing really well in Bayern. Hmm. So you know he's a top class striker, but I think in Bayern, there's so many other people that can provide for him and score as well. In Tottenham, there's just probably Sun in him, in a way. But um, Tottenham is a really good team. I can't believe I'm saying that as an Arsenal fan, but <laughs> there are a few players that I do admire, like Sun, for example. And him. Having, I think the captain band gives him like an extra responsibility to pull through. And they have very exciting players to come through as well. Um, so let, let's see how they do. Um, I think they, they um, I don't know who's managing them at the moment. It's, uh, mm. I think we spoke about this earlier as well a few times, that the, the manager's role in a in, in, in football, um, I mean, not, uh, just, just like... Formula One or any other sports. If you don't watch that sport, if you don't, if you're not into that sport, you don't understand the details. Uh, there's a lot of like work behind the scenes which affects the team. Um, yeah. And the same way, I think uh, Arsenal's manager Michael Arteta. Uh, I really like him because uh, as as a player, I used to like him as well. And on top of that, I think he worked a few years with uh, Pep Guardiola. Yeah. And you can see kind of him adopting. Style. Uh, the, the style and the techniques yeah. um, Pep uh, used. Um, I, I also like uh, Pep a lot. I like his playing style. I like the way he kind of changed football. Mm. That's true, that's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, let's see how Arsenal do. Um, is it like plus the amount of games that they're playing are more now because of Champions League as well. So let's see how they do. I think they have a game tomorrow against Sevilla. Um so I hope it goes well. Let's see. And then uh, slightly different news, keeping it to the UK, is about the floodings which are going on recently. Uh, so from, from the Sky News, there's a report that more flooding could hit the UK this week after heavy downpours from Storm Babbitt, uh, which left hundreds of properties submerged with icy conditions on the way. So we have the storm on top of that, the temperatures are dropping. And in places like Glasgow or in, in Scotland, in the northern areas of England, uh, there will be some, some ice um, because of the rain and the temperature drop. And further flooding is possible from rivers and surface water on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. And about 1,250 properties in England have been flooded and an estimated of 30,000 properties have been protected from flooding, uh, the EA said. It comes as the Met Office issued overnight warnings for ice, which will remain in place in Scotland and Northern England until 9 a.m. today. Just a few hours left. And uh, Moran Gilbert, 83, was found dead 
after her home was hit by flooding in uh, Derbyshire, taking the number of people who have died since the storm hit the UK to at least four. <coughs> the son uh, of um, Maureen Gilbert, uh, Paul Gilbert, he told Sky News that he found his mother floating in the water, a very shocking scene. Um, he also told the Sky News that I did not want to find my own mom and I expected somebody else to have found her. I go through so many different stages, anger, upset. I don't know. I can't put it into words what it means at, at the moment. Um, another person, Wendy Taylor, she was 57. Uh, she also died after being swept into the water of Lee um, Glen Esk on Thursday. And her family described her as a, a ray of sunshine for everyone who was fortunate enough to know her in a tribute. And the First Minister of Scotland, Hamza Yusuf, will visit uh, Brechin uh, Angus today to see where the River South Esk burst its banks and flooded dozens of homes last week during Storm Babbitt. Angus and Aberdeenshire uh, were badly hit by the storm and teams have been clearing debris from roads while those hit by flooding are making repairs and the residents of a river street in Brechin were trying to dry out their homes as they surveyed the damage from the flood water so that was the news and now we'll go for a short break and we'll be starting our first segment don't go anywhere stay with us we are going to talk about go sober october um it's very surprising that Alcohol has been proven to be, you know, very harmful and dangerous and damaging to the body. Uh, and this is quite, I mean, quite, quite um, um, one side or quite clear about about this. The world is quite clear about this. But despite this, so many people are drinking. So we'll be talking about a little bit about about drinking habits, why people are so much into drinking and what this Go Sober October can bring to us. So stay with us. We will shortly be back. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. I call to Allah to witness that the Holy Qur'an is a rare pearl. Its outside is light, and its inside is light, and its above is light, and its below is light. And there is light in every word of it. It is a spiritual garden, whose clustered fruits are within easy reach and through which streams flow. Every fruit of good fortune is found in it and every torch is lit from it. Its light has penetrated to my heart and I could not have acquired it by any other means. And Allah is my witness that if there had been no Qur'an, I would have found no delight in life. I find it that its beauty exceeds that of a hundred thousand Josephs. I incline towards it with a great inclination and drink it into my heart. It has nurtured me as an embryo is nurtured and it has a wonderful effect on my heart. Myself is lost in its beauty. It has been disclosed to me in a vision that the garden of holiness is irrigated by the water of the Holy Quran which is a surging ocean of the water of life. He who drinks from it comes to life. Indeed, he brings others to life.
and he it is who originates the creation, then repeats it, and it is most easy for him. His is the most exalted state in the heavens and the earth, and he is the mighty, the wise. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon everyone. Welcome back to the breakfast show. We are gonna start our first segment just uh, uh, just before we go into that. Um, just like to mention some something about the um, Palestine-Israel conflict and our position um, in this matter. So, uh, can you, Nabil, please uh, just elaborate on that shortly? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think the best way to um, explain um, is through um, the words of His Holiness um, which he had mentioned in the recent Friday sermon um, to the viewers. Um, so I'm going to use his word to explain the situation. His Holiness mentioned that I want to I wanted to ask for prayers in relation to the current situation of the world. In the past days, a war has started between Hamas and Israel due to which civilians on both sides, women, children and the elderly, are being killed or have been killed without any distinction. Even at times of war, Islam does not permit the killing of women, children or anyone who is not participating in the war. And this teaching was strictly established by the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The world is saying, and it has some truth to it, that Hamas initiated this war and killed Israel civilians indiscriminately, leaving aside the fact that the Israeli army has been killing innocent Palestinians prior to this. Muslims should always act according to Islamic teachings. If there is a legitimate war, then it can take place against the army, but not against women, children and the innocent. Nevertheless, the step Hamas took was wrong. It caused more harm than good. In response to Hamas's attack, the punishment of war should have remained against Hamas alone. This would have been true bravery and the correct response. However, what the Israeli army is doing now is extremely dangerous and it seems that this will not stop. The number of lives of women and children that will be lost cannot be imagined. The Israeli government announced that it will completely wipe out Gaza and to do that it, it, it endlessly bombed Gaza, reducing it to a pile of ashes. The latest development is that the Israeli government is saying that more than one million people should leave Gaza and some have begun, have begun leaving already. Thankfully, through a weak voice, the UN has raised some concern that this is against human rights is wrong will create a lot of problems and that Israel should rethink the instruction. this instruction. Instead of condemning Israel outrightly, they, as in the UN, are making a mere request. Nevertheless, the innocent who are not participating in the war are not to be blamed. If the world sees Israeli women, children and civilians as innocent, then Palestinians are innocent also. The teaching of these people of the book also say such killing is not allowed. Muslims are blamed that they have committed wrong, but these people should look at themselves also. The UK ambassador of, of Palestine was interviewed by the BBC and in response to a question said that Hamas is a militant group, not the government, and that Palestinian government has nothing to do with it. He also raised the valid question that if true justice has been established, then this situation would not have arisen. If world powers do not have double standards, then such disorder and warfare can never even occur. Thus end these double standards and the wars will end themselves. 
His Holiness said he has been saying these points for a very long time in light of Islamic teachings, but in response, leaders agree without any action. His Holiness continues to say, ignoring justice, all the world powers or Western powers are uniting to punish Palestinians and conversations are being held everywhere about sending armies. His Holiness also spoke about the misinformation in the media that is being spread. It is often the case that pictures are shared to try and prove injustice against Israeli, but later it's found that these pictures were actually of Palestinians, yet there is no retraction in the media for this. So this is like a small summary of which His Holiness had mentioned in his previous Friday sermon delivered on the 22nd October. Thank you, Andrew. I think the position is quite clear and, and pretty straightforward that uh, whatever um, you know injustice is being done from either side is wrong. Um, and the higher powers, the, the the more powerful nations need to step in because if somebody's being oppressed, I mean, he, he's just pushed into a corner. What else do you expect him to do? Uh, thank you for that. Um, we will continue with our first segment now, Go Sober October. Uh, let's talk about alcohol, another um i think um huge thing which is causing problems in the world um so the gist of the story is that go sober october is a challenge which encourages people to go alcohol free for a month to raise money for macmillan cancer support and a brief a background on the go sober october it was launched in 2014 so it's been about 9 years by the macmillan cancer support charity to encourage people to um uh, to give um, give up drinking for the month of October uh, to raise money for charity. And since the launch, the initial initiative has raised £33 million, which has made a huge difference to the lives of people with cancer and is helping them to live life as fully as they can. Uh, I think the October, October month might, might have been chosen because um, I think a lot of drinking is done in October. You have the Oktoberfest in Germany and other countries as well. So if you start talking about the benefits and uh, and the, the disadvantages of alcohol, I think we can we can uh, do the whole show on this one. But uh, um, I don't know what what do you say, um, Nabil? Is drinking good? Does he have any benefit or? Um, well, to be honest, um, you know, there are alcohol has benefits. Well, it depends on how you use it. I mean, if it's in a medical terms or basis, of course, alcohol has benefits. It helps you to clean um, wounds, you know, um, get rid of the um, bacteria, etc. But then again, benefits of going alcohol-free um, shows that um, there are very few toxins um, in your body, um, which gives your body the chance to, you know, um, um, free the toxin toxins that has um, been producing in your body by consuming al- alcohol. Um, like you know that once you do consume alcohol, you're mentally not fully aware of where you are mm-hmm. and where you're at. Um, you know, um, so it helps. Yeah, you know. You know the the thing you mentioned that has it has some benefit, but it's mostly um, um, dangerous. Yeah, of course. That reminds me is. of a, a verse in the Holy Quran um, that speaks exactly about this. This is um, chapter two, verse two hundred twenty. And Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran that they ask you concerning um, alcohol and the game of hazard. And Allah says that in both there is great sin and also some advantages for men. But their sin is greater than their advantage. Yeah. And they ask thee about um, what they should spend 
and say what you can spare. So uh, God Almighty already mentioned this, you know, about fourteen hundred years ago that alcohol has some benefit, but the dangers and the the the, the sins and the and the harmful things which come with it are far greater, and this is why we have to avoid them. Um, let's speak to uh, one of our guests about this. Uh, so we are joined by our first guest, uh, Laura Willoughby, sorry about that, uh, from Club Soda. Um, Laura, uh, she's the founder of Club Soda, the world's largest mindful drinking movement and a leading expert in low and non-alcoholic drinks, operates the low and no tasting rooms in Covent Garden. Uh, recognized as number 16 in 2020, uh, 2023's drink reta- uh, retailings, latest top 100 most influential people in drink and among the among her commitment to supporting hundreds of thousands of people in their journeys to mindful drinking club sodas tasting room in london offers over 150 curated low and non-alcoholic drinks and brands so let's uh, speak to laura uh, more about this assalamualaikum peace be upon you welcome to the breakfast show Malikum salam thank you very much Hello. how are you doing today I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much. So just to start off, tell us a bit about Club Soda. What do you do and what is this organization? Yeah, well, I set up Club Soda because I gave up drinking myself and it was to help people of all kinds um, change their drinking habits. So that's to cut down or go alcohol-free. And um, what we did, what we started doing was alcohol-free drinks festivals so that people could come and taste alcohol-free drinks. And that was for everybody, people who have never drunk before or people who were looking to change their drinking. And so now we have a shop that helps mm-hmm. people discover really nice alcohol-free drinks. But we also run courses to help people change their drinking habits if they've decided that they want to make a change. And so, you know, this is, you know, British culture is very boozy, as you know. And so this is quite a big shift in British culture. More and more people are drinking Mm. less or not at all. And so some support to help people do that is what's needed. It's very interesting. Um, So since you, you, you left a drinking yourself, uh, if you if you don't mind answering, what what kind of benefits or disadvantages did you see in your life? Uh, I only saw yeah, I only saw benefits from changing drinking. I ended up in a job I wasn't enjoying, and so my drinking went up because I wasn't sure what I would wanted to do. And then, of course, in Britain, we're taught to drink when we're happy, drink when we're sad, drink when we're <laughs> bored. You know, it's a very cultural thing. And so I was in a situation where I was unhappy and I was bored and I was unfulfilled. And so I was drinking more. But by te- by quitting drinking, I, I released so much. Alcohol impacts on every part of you and every part of your body. And so what happened for me very quickly is that I began to feel a lot more energy. I began to, mm-hmm. my face um, became less puffy and less swollen. I um, lost weight. I um, I could think better. My brain fog had gone because, of course, you're often very tired. Alcohol tires you out. Um, I gained yeah. so much time. The weekends are so much longer if you're not hungover. And for many people, if you've got other health conditions like diabetes or if you've got headaches or if you're going through menopause or any of those things, not drinking can also help with all of those conditions. It's, it's a mild poison, so it's no surprise that it affects on so many things in your life and your mental health. And the number one reason people say that they're changing their drinking these days is to improve their mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, another slightly personal question. Um, 
what do you think um, about uh, why do people, I mean, drink then? If you see, if you're mentioning all these uh, kind of benefits you had after stopping, are people not realizing that drinking is doing this to them? I mean, have they not noticed that if, when they're not drinking, they're feeling better, they're doing this? Uh, do you think this is more just a, a personal uh, thing to you? Or is this uh, also no, reflected in um, other things? Yeah, we're, um, alcohol's been a big part of our culture for a very long time. And people drink because they like the effect that drink gives you. But unfortunately, most people can't stop at the point where they're just getting the nice effects of drink because alcohol itself makes you want to drink more and it mm. is addictive. Um, I think it's only in human history, it's only recently where we've really discovered the overall impacts of alcohol because of hangovers are one thing, which is that feeling terrible after drinking, but the impact of alcohol is cumulative and it can affect so many other things about your body. So it's actually probably only in the last, you know, 50, 60, maybe 100 years when the temperance movements were here in the UK where they were attached to religious and trade union organisations where people really saw that, you know, you can ruin your life through alcohol um, and in the same way that you can ruin your life through drugs. But I think humans want to alter their minds in, in different ways, and there are many ways to do that, but alcohol is very culturally embedded in, in the UK, and so it takes a time for us to unlearn all of that cultural learning. And so I think young, younger people at the moment are drinking less than any generation, you know, British, you know, white British um, young people are drinking less than, than their previous generations. So something is beginning to shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they, I had, a, 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 um, looked at some news as well earlier that drinking, you know, kind of spiked during the time of uh, COVID. Uh, people didn't have anything to do, though they started drinking. So this October, I mean, Go Sober October um, scheme, which I started, I think this is a really good scheme. And uh, um, can you tell us what you are uh, planning for this month or what you already have done for this month uh, yeah. in terms of your um, club soda? Yeah, so Sober October is a charity um, event um, uh, challenge run by Macmillan Cancer Research. It's an amazing um, way to do it because it helps get people um, at the same time. And there are links between alcohol and well, there's a link between alcohol and everything, basically. Um, so over this um, over this month, we've had um, lots of cocktail classes, so you can come in and learn how to make an alcohol-free cocktail. And for your listeners, I see an alcohol-free cocktail being very different to a mocktail. A mocktail is often some very sweet juices mixed together, whereas an mm -hmm. alcohol-free cocktail is made in a similar way to an alcoholic cocktail, um, which gets the balance and flavor and body right. So we've had, um, using all of the 0% drinks in our shop, we've been teaching people how to make cocktails. And we also do private tastings, and we've been running lots of those so that people can find an alcohol-free drink that suits them most, whether that's a sparkling tea or whether that's a fruit or whether they want to try an alcohol-free cider or beer. So people have been coming in and tasting all sorts of drinks. And then we've had um, a, um, an alcohol-free um, pairing night with a sparkling tea and food. Um, and then we're open seven days a week, so we've had lots of customers this month. Mm -hmm, very interesting. And uh, do, what kind of feedback do you get from the people? Um, it's excellent. We have customers of all kinds. So we have many Muslim customers, as well as people who are cutting down their drinking or people going alcohol free. Um, if it wasn't for that, that big market, 
um, these new exciting drinks wouldn't exist. And I think for me, um, Club Soda is really an equalities campaign. For me, it's about if you're going out, if you're socializing, if you're having a party, how do you make sure that everybody is included equally? How can you make sure that your event is inclusive? And how can we make sure that everybody um, feels like they're a, um, a, a customer that's wanted rather than a customer that's not, like a second-class customer in a venue? So we campaign a lot to um, get pubs and bars and restaurants and caterers and events and weddings and all of those people to think about those that aren't drinking at an event and make sure that their experience is as good as everyone else. So that's a big part of what we do. And that, that means that also the customers that we have in the shop are a very broad range of people who have never drunk before for many different reasons, all the way through to people who still drink but are exploring and looking for something to swap out. And for me, that's the exciting bit, really, because together we're a big market in the UK of over 25 million people. And that's when producers begin to make really interesting drinks that are designed for adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, lastly, um, we probably heard a few weeks ago, uh, there was in the news that Rishi Sunak is trying to stop uh, children born after, I think, 2003 or two th no, 2018 or something, that they won't have access to tobacco, smoking and vaping. So what do you think, um, shouldn't the government be taking steps towards uh, stopping alcohol first? Since this is I think, um, a lot more harmful than smoking. What's, uh, what's your thoughts on that? I'm not sure it's a lot more harmful than smoking, but it's mm -hmm. definitely harmful in its own way. And there are lots of harms from alcohol. I think the difference is, is you couldn't grow a tobacco plant in your back garden and make your own cigarettes, whereas you could actually make your own alcohol and people had, that's where it all started. Um, I, it's a very different substance and it's got, um, there's alcohol in nearly everything that you put in your mouth to mm. some degree, you know, anything that ferments, you even have alcohol naturally in your stomach because your stomach ferments. So, um, it's a natural process. And so where you draw the line would be very interesting. Um, and obviously small amounts of alcohol don't do any harm. I don't think we're in a position yet where the government will do will ban alcohol and i think we've shown that in america in the 20s prohibition actually didn't work at all so mm -hmm. i think instead what we need is a government that puts more resources into supporting people changing their drinking that takes vat and maybe some tax breaks for alcohol free drinks so that they're not as expensive because also the sugar tax made some alcohol free drinks more ex expensive um and that we we shift as a culture and a society towards um, alcohol not being at the, the centre of every social occasion, I think that will take time. I, I don't think banning things always works. Tobacco is a very particular um, uh, thing, but um, I think mm -hmm. we've got examples of where trying to ban alcohol has, has, has happened and it's really not worked. So I think ev every, every substance needs its own, um, own treatment, but obviously um, the, the government, um, at the minute, the government has no good health economics data around the impact of alcohol. So they don't spend any money on supporting people to change their drinking. And I think that's probably one of the biggest failings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, sorry, I said finally, but one more question. What, where, where do you think you're heading with this, with uh, Club Soda and your company? What's your kind of uh, future plan? Um, oh, wow. If you have Let any me... final um, advice for our listeners. Yes, I do. Um, I, for me, this is really important. This is about equality of socialising and um, people being able to come together wherever you're from and whoever you are. And I want to open more um, tasting rooms across the UK, particularly in Birmingham and Manchester and Bristol and Northern Ireland. 
and we're, we're going for investment for that at the minute. What I have learned, the thing that I can do that's the most powerful in this space, is to provide a way for people to try drinks so they can take alcohol out of their diet and put something in its place, which is an alcohol-free drink, and campaign to make sure and work with pubs and bars and restaurants in every region to make sure that they've got really delicious choices for every single customer, whatever their drinking habits. And for me, that, that, that will probably create the biggest shift in society if you can turn up to a restaurant and know that as somebody who may never have drunk before, that you can have a meal and you don't have to have a Coca-Cola with it because it's full of sugar, but you can have a really nice sparkling tea and that your experience is as good as anybody else's experience. To me, that's the most powerful thing we can do. So we're currently looking for investment to do that across the country, which means we can work with venues all across the country as well. Thank you very much, Laura. It was it was uh, lovely speaking with you. Come and uh, visit. Come and visit the shop. You'll visit be the very shop. welcome. Where is your shop? Um, so come and visit us. We're at 39 Drury Lane in Covent Garden. We're deliberately mm-hmm. in the centre of London so everyone can come and visit us. We're open seven days a week. Come in, try some drinks, explore what we've got, have some cocktails. Everybody is welcome. Great. I mean, if it's alcohol-free, I think I'll, if, I, if I'm nearby, I'll give you a visit. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll be very welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. And thank you for joining us this morning and uh, speaking about this important topic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Laura from uh, Club Soda. Now we will go straight to our next guest, who is Andrew um, Missel uh, from uh, Alcohol Change UK. So Andrew is a director for Wales at um, uh, Alcohol Change UK and has led the development of the charity's work in Wales since 2009. His main areas of interest include access to support for the most vulnerable dependent drinkers, uh, the interface between alcohol and mental health, and the growth growth of the alcohol-free drinks in the market. Assalamualaikum. Peace be upon you, Andrew. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm good as well. Thank you very much. I hope I pronounced your uh, um, surname correctly. Is it oh, it's close, close enough. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Anyways, um, we're just uh, to get straight into this, tell us a bit about Alcohol Change UK. What do you do and um, so, what's your role in it? So we're a, a, a national charity operating um, across England and Wales, looking at a range of um, alcohol issues. You just highlighted some of the ones there that that um, I'm working on. We, we do quite a lot of work on alcohol-free drinks, much like Laurie, your previous guest. And um, we really try to be a, a source of information for people about alcohol, so um, about safe levels of drinking for people who do drink, um, about the effects of alcohol on the body and the mind. And um, mm-hmm. we don't provide one-to-one support or, or treatment, but we can help people uh, f- find someone in their local area who can support them if they do need help with an alcohol problem. Okay, um, thank you for that. Um, so as you know that even you, you, you mentioned before regarding the mental health as and how alcohol affects it. So what support does um, your organisation offer in regards to that? Well, I think, yeah, you, you're right. The issue of alcohol and, and mental health is a, is a, a really important one. And we've, we've got loads of information on the website about alcohol and, and mental health. And as I say, we can we can help you. We we won't provide direct support. We're not um, you know we're not therapists or doctors, but we can help people find someone in their local area who can um, can help them with these issues. And we it is it's something that comes up a lot. I mean, um, I 
as we often find that people are uh, people are drinking to cope with with stress and anxiety, um, and whilst it might work for a, a short while, uh, on the whole, alcohol increases levels of uh, anxiety and, and depression. It makes people feel worse, and it, it doesn't work as a coping mechanism. But I think it's 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 very difficult for people to um, uh, come forwards. And uh, there's obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of stigma mm-hmm. um, involved <laughs> in um, admitting an alcohol problem. And one of the uh, pieces of work that I'm doing at the moment is is working with um, different Muslim communities to um, help people realise that although I mean we all know that alcohol is is um, haram under Islam, but we also know that uh, alcohol problems do occur within Muslim communities, and it's helping people to uh, to come forward without that feeling of shame and, and uh, working with uh, faith leaders to, to support people mm-hmm. um, because, you you know, when you're facing a problem, say, with alcohol, uh, often your, your, your imam, your, your faith leader, your community, uh, they would be the people that you'd want to be able to go to first for support. So we're trying to make sure that support is available. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um as we know from our previous guest, um, you know she she has a club soda which offers alcohol-free drinks. Um, but of course, if we are going to start providing these services um, of helping out alcoholics or you know people who have a problem with that, um, when that impact you know consumption trends of alcohol and you know the business, what's your perspective it, on that? It, it certainly, I mean, it certainly could do. I mean, um, it's interesting if you look at. Um, if you look at the data, uh, it seems quite clear that companies that produce alcohol make quite a lot of their money yeah. from people who are drink, uh, drinking far too much. And, and, you know, that makes sense. It's been interesting, actually, in the last, mm, I suppose, six or seven years that a, a lot of the big alcohol companies have started producing alcohol-free versions of their popular drinks. Now, it's not a huge trend. It's not a huge part of the market. But I think... Uh, you know, smart business people. Some of the, you know, the alcohol companies started to realise. Okay, well, if more people are having, uh, then you know, we need to find some way to sort of continue to maintain our business. Um, but yeah, certainly, I think I can't remember the numbers now. But if if the whole population of of the UK drank within what the the chief medical officer recommends, which is no more than say five or six pints of beer a week if if nobody drank more than that then um i yeah i can see that i think the alcohol industry would be in trouble financially so um that i that's a, just an interesting one to think about yeah definitely um thank you for that um so how does alcohol change uk you know help certain individuals um you know you like you're mentioning before um you know they're embarrassed to mention that they yeah. have a problem um facing emotional and psychological challenges when once you know once they do change the habit of you know consuming less alcohol yeah i think we one thing we really are keen to do is to sort of challenge that embarrassment and uh and you know cha- challenge that shame i mean yeah. i think within sort of general british society there's a there's an issue in that you know people people think of alcohol as quite a sort of warm positive thing um and it's quite difficult for someone to say well look, this thing you think is so great it's actually I'm getting into problems with it. Um, and I think certainly my, you know, my uh, contacts within Muslim communities, we, um, I think 
within these communities we you know we need to be honest about the problems that that do exist for some people and and to i suppose what i've found is for for you know lots of people their their faith is a great source of strength so there's a there's um you know there's a resource there that we can be mm-hmm. be tapping into helping people to draw on their faith to sort of help them get through yeah, sorry to uh, sorry problems. to cut you, Andrew. Just a second. We we need to take a short break for the news. If you can just stay on the line for two minutes, oh, okay. We'll okay. continue the discussion. Thank you All very right. much. Uh, yeah. So we'll just go for the news, and we'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. And welcome back to The Breakfast Show. Just prior to the news, we were on the line with Andrew, who's the director for Wales at Alcohol Change UK. Um, Andrew, you still there? Hello, yes, I'm here. Yeah. Apologies for that. Um, no, it's fine. Thank you. Um, like you were mentioning before, so the question was to you. Um, you know, how's Alcohol Change UK helping individuals, um, you know, who are trying to change their habits of consuming less alcohol, um, who are facing emotional and mentally challenge, mental challenges. So how are Alcohol Change UK helping those um, certain individuals? Yeah, like, um, so obviously we, you know, we, seek, um, we seek to engage with all sorts of people and, and you know, point people in the, in the right direction. And one of the things I was mentioning there was that, you know, we know from... I work with different Muslim communities that pe- people's faith is often a, a, a great source of strength, and that's something that I'm, you know, I'm keen that we can we can draw on so that um, people can get support within their community in a way that sort of draws on their on their faith tradition and the strength that they they get from that. So um, I've been working with a uh, a, f- a few people within a, a Muslim charity in England trying to develop some resources so that. Um, Muslim faith leaders on the ground have they'll have the knowledge to um to support people in a way that's relevant for them. So yeah, because we we can't as an organisation, you know, there's I don't know twenty five of us. We can't we can't be everywhere. But by working with different community groups, uh, we we can make sure that the support is available on the ground. You know where 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 people need it because people need support around them. You know from the people yeah. they know and and trust if they if they're struggling with an alcohol issue. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Definitely. Um, so, final question to you um, before we let you go, and thank you for your time as well. Um, what are any current projects that Alcohol Change UK may be involved in, and uh, any future initiatives that you might have for the listeners out there? Oh, we've uh, we've we've got loads of things on the go. I mean, for for people who do drink, uh, we we have the Dry January campaign, which will obviously you know start just after Christmas. That's quite that's proven quite a useful thing for people who who do drink alcohol who want to take a uh, a month off. It help you know it helps them take a break, helps them moderate. Yeah. Um, and we've got other projects on the go, like our um our Blue Light project, which is growing and growing, which is about um engaging with uh supporting people whose lives have really fallen apart as a result of um of very heavy alcohol use so pe- people whose lives have become quite chaotic uh they may uh they may be homeless they may be experiencing violence that probably experienced trauma in the past so really trying to you know uh, make sure the support is available right through from people who are 
who are just having a you know maybe a little bit of a problem they want to take some time off through to people who re- you know really need looking after and encouraging to to get their life back together perfect perfect way to end off this interview thank you for your time andrew thank you and may you have a wonderful week ahead thank you bye bye thank you very much andrew it was a very interesting conversation um uh we still have one more guest uh, we'll be taking on the line and uh, before that uh nabio if you can just um you know highlight a little bit what about uh, what does what does islam actually say about alcohol and uh, uh as he mentioned as well a lot of um, muslims um are drinking or he he is dealing with some communities where uh, in which uh, muslims are drinking so Definitely. what's what's the reason for that um, despite being islam very clear on this in the history of prior to the um coming of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the trend or tradition of the arabs where they were deeply involved in alcohol um day and night to just consume alcohol they were very proud of the fact you know um throughout any functions or events they would always consume alcohol so as soon as the holy prophet sallam came and brought that change around um and the holy quran gave its command to categorically forbid the consumption of alcohol um the arab mentality um that it was acceptable was the first change by the quranic teachers which um followed the change in attitude um similarly to the abolishment of slavery where slaves weren't not one were not only freed but they were fully integrated to the islamic society and were were seen as you know um in the same caliber as a normal person um likewise the islamic teachings regarding alcohol struck at the very root of the problem and changed perceptions first um Allah the Almighty discouraged um Muslims from drinking wine um drawing to the attention the fact that there was greater evil um than benefit in alcohol um in chapter 2 verse 220 states that they asked the concerning wine and the game of hazard say in both there is great sin and also advantages for men but their sin is greater than their advantages um Yeah those reminds me of a narration of the holy prophet when a kind of a history when when uh, alcohol was banned uh, in in islam um it's from i think hazrat uh, ibn umar he was um he used to take the drinks alcohol to different people and uh give them to drink and when he heard outside there's a, there's a noise going on somebody screaming and, and shouting and saying something he went outside and checked and heard that uh, alcohol has been uh, declared unlawful in Islam and then he came inside and told that particular companion of the holy prophet and uh, as you mentioned the arabs i mean this was their like day to day thing yeah. they used to like drink five times a day um this was their tradition and when once that companion heard about this that uh, alcohol has been declared unlawful he didn't ask any questions he told him told the young boy okay take all the vessels of alcohol and pour them into the streets yeah. right now immediately and then after that he went and inquired about if this was even um true or how what what the matter was so the this also shows the obedience of the companions um to the holy prophet um we will uh, speak a bit more about alcohol with, with our with our third guest here uh, Joe ba- uh, Joe Burnett from Go Get Sober So Joe is a qualified and experienced behavior change coach and the founder of Go Get Sober, 
and uh, she has 30 years experience supporting people to transform their lives and change their habits in positive, healthy and sustainable ways. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Uh, welcome to the breakfast show, Joe. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Now, we thank you for coming and uh, giving us your time. Um, so as you are probably hearing, we are talking about alcohol and uh, um, about Go Sober October. And uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and Go Get Sober, your, your uh, organization? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll try and give you the short version. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've spent, as you've just said, I've spent sort of 30 years plus the last few decades um, supporting people to change their lives in various ways. So my, my background and expertise is in the coaching industry. So I've done life coaching, leadership coaching, mm-hmm. professional development coaching, that kind of thing. But in, in recent years, I've specialized more and more in the behavior change, the habit change side of things. And that has kind of culminated in a focus on helping people to stop drinking. But not mm-hmm. not just to stop drinking, but to actually enjoy living a fulfilling, healthy, happy, liberating and and joyful life sober. And the reason that I've kind of ended up at this point is because I myself had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And when I finally decided to stop drinking, I looked around to see what support was out there couldn't find the kind of support that I wanted and I was really lucky because I had I had my experience I I had techniques at my disposal I had the behavior change tools at my disposal I was very experienced in using them to support other people so I just decided to do it myself and because I was so successful in in the way that I did it I decided to sort of develop that and create something that could support other people um and that's why i created go get sober um and and that basically is a website it's a brand but it's a website providing free resources giving tips and advice it's also a a private facebook group and it's also one-to-one coaching with me Mm -hmm. and that's a kind of potted history in answer to your question (laughs) No, that was very, uh, very um, concise. Thank you very much. Uh, so, what what are the common challenges people face uh, when trying to get sober? What's um, I assume it it must be challenging for people because the whole world is on this, despite its harmful effects. So, uh, tell us a bit why why do people even go in that in the first place? And then when they want to come back, what are what are the difficult parts of of uh, becoming sober? Yeah, I mean, that's a really big question. Um, And again, I'll try and keep my answer short. But um, I think the reason people go there in the first place, um, it depends on the person and it depends on the context. But quite often, they are seeking something outside of themselves to help themselves feel better in some way. Not only that... But there is a lot of societal pressure. Alcohol is really not just tolerated by our society, and I'm talking particularly 
um, Western societies, the UK, the States, um, Australia, Canada, etc. It, it's it's not just tolerated, even though it's a, a dangerous, addictive, mm-hmm. poisonous substance, um, but actively promoted. You know, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. So, of course, sold to society as something enjoyable, something to help you relax, something to help you unwind, something to help you deal with stress, something that you need when you're socialising. So it's become normalised in certain communities and cultures across the, across the world. So mm-hmm. it's very easy for people to fall into that because of the pressure that's coming at them from society. Um, and like I said before, they also fall into it because they may have some need individually. Alcohol might, might make them feel better about themselves and give them instant kind of relief or an instant boost. Mm-hmm. And when they, when they come to decide that it's become a problem for them and they want to stop drinking, there's all sorts of reasons why they struggle with that. One of them is that they often feel very alone they feel ashamed Um, they don't perhaps want to admit to anybody in their communities or in their families or in their friendship groups that they have a problem because you know they might feel very self-conscious or ashamed about that Um, another reason that they might struggle to stop is peer pressure that that sort of societal and peer pressure that I was talking about another reason they struggle to stop is that You know, sometimes people will make a resolution that they want to make a healthy lifestyle change. Like, for instance, lots of people make New Year's resolutions and things like that. People make a resolution and they're all fired up. They start on full throttle. And then as life throws its challenges at them, they lose steam. So Mm -hmm. people can decide, yeah, this is what I want to do. I know it's bad for me. I know I want to stop. I'll be a healthier, better person if I don't drink. And then they they just kind of lose steam. They lose that motivation. Something bad happens or they feel a bit stressed or challenged um, and they just reach back for alcohol again. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also another thing that happens when people first decide they want to stop drinking or they're trying to live life sober is that they can face all sorts of challenges, not it's sort of mental health-wise. So... Maybe they've been using alcohol as a bit of a a sort of self-medicating tool that it's helped them feel better, it's helped them deal with anxiety or it's helped them deal with stress. And when the going gets tough, when they're trying to live their lives sober, they haven't got any alternative to that. And so they're kind of on automatic pilot and they reach back for alcohol again. So there's all sorts of reasons, there's all sorts of challenges that people face when, when they stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And since you're you're a health coach, um, uh, you you uh, what techniques? Um, sorry, a behavior coach, a behavior change coach. Uh, what what techniques do you offer for people who are relapsing again and again? You know, going back into drinking or any other habit. Uh, what's what's the best advice you can give to a single person for for um, stopping from those relapses? Yeah, that's a really good question. And again, there's there's a big answer to that, but I'll try and drill it down to just a couple of things. So one 
one thing, and I would say probably one of the most important things that people can do to prevent those relapses is to really find ways of ramping up their motivation for the behaviour change. So they need to paint a really compelling, attractive picture of the thing they want to achieve. So if, for instance, it's they want to live their life sober, they need to paint a really compelling picture of what sober living is like. So rather than seeing it as a daily struggle or something they're going to have to battle with for the rest of their lives or something that's going to be difficult and challenging and they're always going to have to be on guard. In, instead of that, they need to paint a really attractive, magnetic picture that draws them in. And it's all to do with being liberated, being their best selves, connecting with their communities, connecting with other people better, having better relationships, building a better career, taking advantage of all the opportunities that life presents them with. So to make it really motivating for them to stay on track and not to relapse, they need to really think about how they are thinking, what picture they are, they are painting of that new sober lifestyle and make sure that it's an attractive one. So that's one thing. The other most important thing is planning preparation. The biggest bit of advice I could give people right here, right now, today, is to plan and prepare. People know when they want to make a change to their, their lives. People know if they plan ahead, they're going to know what potential challenges they could face in the upcoming day or the upcoming 24 hours or the upcoming week. They will know what points during those days coming ahead, they will know what points are going to be the most challenging for them. And they need to spend some time just sitting down and thinking about that, reflecting, planning how they're going to deal with those challenges. Because without the planning and the preparation, that's when people can get onto automatic pilot and reach back for the very thing that they're trying to stop. So although there's a lot more depth to that, that answer I could give you, I, I would think the two most important are to get really motivated about the lifestyle change you're trying to make and two, to make sure you spend some time planning and preparing for the challenges that might be coming up. Yes, that was very, I think, very beautifully put, uh, like a short-term solution and a long-term solution. Uh, it was uh, a very good. Um, thank you very much. Um, thank you, Joe, for joining us. It was a very uh, interesting discussion, and you gave us, uh, I mean, a lot of, um, uh, well, not me, I don't drink, but uh, to, to some of our listeners who do, uh, some interesting tips and ideas how to, um, you know, uh, stop drinking, how to get sober. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, it was uh, lovely speaking to you and uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. So that was uh, Joe Bernard from Go Get Sober who um, graciously joined us this morning. Uh, she, uh, as I mentioned, is an experienced behavior change coach and uh, a founder of Go Get Sober and she has over 30 years of experience doing this, so um, you better listen to what she was telling you. Um, also, after years of delivering face-to-face -face support, she created and developed the Go Get Sober website. Um, go and check that out. 
and there's many coaching programs on there as well. So, uh, yes, thank you again to Joe for joining us. Now we'll take a short break and then we will discuss um, what Islam says about alcohol and its prohibition. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states, When the blessings of Allah are near at hand, He provides the prerequisites for the acceptance of prayer. The heart is stirred, warms up, and begins to glow. When, however, the moment is not opportune for the acceptance of prayer, the heart lacks that tranquility which results in turning towards God. However much one exerts oneself, the heart does not respond by exhibiting willingness. It is so because at times God exerts His decree so that His will be done, and at other times He concedes to the prayer of His servants. That is why as long as I do not perceive the signs of God's willingness, I do not entertain much hope for the acceptance of prayer. At such times, I submit to the will of my Lord with greater pleasure than that which I derive from the acceptance of prayer. Indeed, I know that the blessings and fruits of this submission to the will of God are greater by far. Assalamualaikum and welcome back to the breakfast show. We are just finishing off the last, the first segment, which was regarding Go Sober October. Um, just to give you a short Islamic perspective, um, we did mention before that it is prohibited to consume alcohol in Islam. Um, of course, there are more disadvantages than benefits, um, as it is mentioned in the Holy Quran. Um, however, Islam does not disregard the fact that alcohol has beneficial properties. Like I mentioned already, the Holy Quran acknowledges the benefits of both alcohol and gambling by stating that there is great sin and also some advantages for men, but their sin is greater than their advantage. Thus, thus Islam acknowledges that alcohol has beneficial properties, but since it harms, outweighs its benefit, it's deemed unlawful. Furthermore, it's should be remembered that Islam is a religion of moderation and although alcohol consumption is prohibited, the use of alcohol in medicine is permitted. When the Holy mm. Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, proclaimed Allah's commandment concerning these intoxicants, his followers broke their pots and drugs of wine until the streets flooded with it, which Osman mentioned before. Um, in a certain verse, um, chapter 4, um, verse 44, there's a word, Arabic word, use al-khamr um, in that verse which means anything that intos- intoxicates or alters the mind so that includes any um, you know um, brain fog you might have or any mental state where you are not aware of yourself um, and your surroundings um, thus all forms of intoxicants that includes, that includes drugs as well are forbidden yeah. um, the verse clearly explains the problems created by the use of intoxicants first they lead to hatred and enmity amongst people, causing murder, violence, immoral behavior, etc. And secondly, they lead people away from Allah and His religion. Um, some ahadiths as well regarding um, where the Holy Prophet mentioned about the intoxicants are that if a large amount of anything causes intoxication or even a small amount, it is forbidden. Um, so this is like a short perspective um, regarding the Islamic teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, about alcohol. Yeah, the the advantage you mentioned, um, which is mentioned in the Holy Quran as well, uh, just to clarify, it does not refer to drinking alcohol. 
because yeah. there's no advantage in drinking pure alcohol by itself, whether it's small or or, or huge in quantity. I know there's some research that uh, came out a few years ago about if you should if you drink like half a glass of wine every day or every week, you will strengthen your liver or something like that. But that research was refuted by so many other researchers, which which proved the complete opposite that any amount of alcohol is harmful to you. The advantage of alcohol, um, which uh, the Holy Quran is also talking about, is in in medicine, as Nabi mentioned. Uh, for example, um, uh, alcohol is antiseptic, so you if you apply that to the wound, that's one of the best uh, ways of keeping it clean. Uh, you have uh, alcohol used in homeopathy. Homeopathy has um, uh, it uses a little bit of alcohol as well, but also um, it uses the, the poison of of certain plants uh, to kind of work as just, an antidote. Exactly. Just to mention that in homeopathy, that use of alcohol does not make you um, doesn't alter your mental mind, so it doesn't make yeah. your brain foggy or anything. So the use of alcohol is more things. Um, it's like one of a thousand um, of that. Know the dosage, mm-hmm. so just just put that in there. Yeah, and then you also mentioned about the word which is used in the Holy Quran, khamr. Khamr in in Arabic kind of means a cover. Yeah. So uh, again, it it just shows that alcohol uh, is not like a, if you want to differentiate or understand what 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 is allowed and what is not allowed, what is khamr, what uh, comes under this category, you can uh, use this rule which was given by the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that. If something, which is, um, if something kills you, before it, it, it intoxicates you, then that does not come under this, in this under yeah. this law. For example, let's say I don't know, um, if you drink like a detergent liquid, yeah. before you you know become intoxicated and lose your senses, you will die. Yeah. You know, so that, that's not haram. But that's also, it's also not smart to drink that. Uh, another another word used in the Holy Quran is bihumuri hinna. Which is it doesn't refer to alcohol. It refers to garments, which uh, the woman have been commanded to cover with. So khamar essentially means something that covers your minds. It can be drugs. It can be uh, alcohol. It can be any other intoxicant. So all those intoxicants which which cover your brain and kind of hinder you from thinking straight, they are prohibited and for a good reason. Um, so this brings us to the end of our first segment, and uh, we have about half an hour left. So we will move on to our next segment which is, uh, again, about um, balance. What is the key to work-life balance? And the gist of this story is that, according to uh, The Guardian, uh, millennials and people over 50 are opting for a more balanced approach to work and life, and uh, millennials are choosing family time and priorities rather than working endless hours, and more people over 50s have started part-time work and modest living to prioritize health and family. Um, so, Nabil, what's what's your thoughts on, you know, life, uh, work life, and family life? I think for uh, us, think it's a bit too early in the morning right now. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it's um, part of work. <laughs> yeah, definitely, of course. Um, I reckon um, to achieve that balance, um, it is hard in today's society. Because everyone's driven behind uh, making money and mm. making, you know, a life where they can individ- individually live. They don't have that life after work, I would say, um, where they socialize with other people, where they look after their health, etc. 
um, work-life balance doesn't just include, you know, um, spending time with your family. It also includes your mental state um, of where you are and uh, the people you run with. Um, that includes the state of your physical body as well, how you're taking care of yourself. Um, to be able to achieve that, I would say it's difficult um, if there's no routine. Yeah. If, um, you know, if, if you don't give time to yourself, if you're grinding 24-7 just to make that extra amount of money. Um, I know it's hard in today's society where, you know, cost of living is ab- above. So people are taking part in two or three jobs a day just to, you know, um, make a living out of it. Um, but they are, I think the benefits outweigh the disadvantages um, mm. where it reduces stress, improves general health, well-being, improves your mental status or helps you boost your energy when you have time to yourself or give time to your family. I know for a fact if my if I go to go off to work and go see my parents, it's beneficial for them to see me and go meet them, eat with them, spend time with them. Um, you know, um, it improves your mood as well when you go home and you just leave work at where work is. Um, you know, there are there are certain um, you know, circumstances that you um get from work that when you come home, if you bring it home, it's very difficult to, you know, give your give time to yourself. So there are very amount of um, you know, um benefits um to a work life balance. Yes, definitely. Um let's uh, talk to our um last guest for the show about uh you know about this specific topic and um let's see what um, she has to say our last guest here is Gemma Ray and she's from uh, mental health uh UK and Gemma is recently appointed uh, head of Wales for the mental health foundation and also previously worked for children in need uh, Welsh women's aid and um Emmaus South Wales a local homelessness prevention charity and uh, she says that she's proud to lead um, MHF, MHF's work in Wales, working to protect the mental health of people living in this country. A very important topic, obviously. Uh, so let's welcome her. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be upon you. Welcome to the show, uh, Gemma. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, do you want to start off by introducing yourself and the work you do at, at, at Mental Health UK so we yeah. can have a bit of an understanding? Sure. So, um, yeah, so I've recently appointed as uh, Head of Sales for the Mental Health Foundation. So I lead the development of our programmes and, and work in, um, in that particular nation. Um, but the Mental Health Foundation is, a, is, is a, about um, promoting good mental health for uh, the whole population, recognising that um, there are particular barriers for, for some groups to be able to, um, for some people to be able to achieve um, good mental health. And we're the home of Mental um, Health Awareness Week each year um, in May. Um, and as an organisation, really what we do is um, we uh, we research and, and evidence what works in terms of good mental health for people um, and then support uh, communities to scale up interventions that will um, make a difference. Mm-hmm. And what what does a balanced, um, you know, work-life balance, um, is there any... Um, criteria it's probably you know individual but uh, what's what's um, your kind of description for that or sure. outline well I, th- I think what a good work-life balance is like is, is different for, for every individual but work is a very important source of um, of who we are and our sense of identity and our sense of purpose so um, you know certainly having work in our lives 
brings lots of positive benefits for mental health. Um, but that has to be balanced by making sure that um, we have enough time or outside of the work environment to, to do the things that we know support good mental health, like spending time with friends and family or finding an opportunity to, to, to get out into nature. Um, so it's about trying to balance, um, you know, the need that we all have to, to earn money uh, alongside making sure that there's time for us to do the things that are important to us uh, at a personal level. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you if you heard us in the beginning, the, the article was speaking about people in their 50s and over, mm-hmm. you know, doing this uh, um, change uh, that where they're pri- prioritizing uh, the, the family life or other things over work. Um, yeah. So what do you think is the reason for, um, you know, people doing this change at that age uh, more um, compared to younger people? So I think there are, you know, I think there are real, um, you know, changing pressures on us as a society. We've got an increasingly um, ageing population, people staying in work longer, but also the um, the wider family responsibilities that they hold are often continuing for longer. So people um, are, are, you know, older people, people in their fifties are often having to continue to manage a full-time workload alongside other family demands, perhaps caring for, um, you know, for, for elderly relatives or parents or indeed providing childcare for um, younger members of the family so that they can um, work. So I think just um, the trajectory of people's work has changed over time. Um, and we've now spent longer in work than we have done in, in, in previous generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the jobs are more demanding as well. They, they, they take more... Um, because of the advancement of technology and everything, I mean, mm. the, more jobs are available. Uh, I mean, computers are advanced. So a lot of jobs have been um, have moved forward. Kind of the older generation cannot, you know, um, cope with this. For example, using uh, different things like PowerPoint or uh, Excel mm-hmm. sheets. Um, so maybe does that have an effect on people uh, kind of slowing it down because they understand that. It's time for the next generation to take over and for me to, you know, relax a little bit, enjoy my life. Well, I think the different things, you know, can cause people, um, you know, to, to be stressed, you know, different things of stress is different for, for different people um, in the workplace. Um, so certainly, you know, if people are struggling to um, to sort of keep up with the pace of change in the job, that can certainly be a cause of stress. But on the, the flip side, the, the the way that we increasingly use IT, and particularly, um, you know, post-pandemic, means that actually mm. that can also make it harder for people to switch that off because the separation between our physical home and our and our work environment isn't as separated as it was before. So actually, you know, the ability to to continue to receive emails outside of your work hours or on your phone when you're at home can um you know can be something that people are challenging um but i think you know i think it's also important to recognize that you know as a as a society we're increasingly working more hours mm-hmm. so although the full-time average working hours in the uk are about 37 actually you know research shows that that's all that's on the increase and already uh more than 20 percent of the uk population work more than 45 hours or more each week yeah some time ago there was the suggestion to you know have a three-day weekend as well um mm-hmm. if you heard about that what what's your thought on that do you think that will improve um kind of the mental health situation and or does it have a negative effect because you you're kind of missing a whole day um of, of work but the the evidence base suggests that in fact um you know it's a very positive um change that uh, workplaces always can make um that has real benefits uh for 
employees' mental, mental health. So, um, you know, there's quite a lot of, of evidence and, and piloting work taking place looking at what the, the effects of a reduced working week are on people. And actually that evidence suggests that it's good for business, productivity actually increases and it's better for employees' mental health and, um, and the ability to have more time to spend um, <clears throat> doing things that enhance their, you know, with friends and family or, or, or leisure activities um, has a positive impact overall. Mm-hmm. Um, my question to you is that you know as, as we've gone through a crisis of the pandemic etc and a lot of people have been working from home um, due to you know the, the due to COVID-19 um, mm-hmm. I can say personally as well that it did of course have an impact on the work-life balance um, you know um, mm. And do you think are people are more inclined towards that type of lifestyle now after the COVID? Um, I think it's not an even. I, you know, I think for some people that worked that's worked really effectively, and I think there's certainly been an increase um, as a result of the pandemic in the number of people that are choosing mm. to work more flexibly and, and perhaps working in their roles in in a, in a in a hybrid way. You know, some of the time from the office, some of the time from home. Um, I think for lots of people, it's really important that there is still face-to-face contact um, in a work environment. Um, uh, working from home 100% of the time can be quite an isolating experience and I think it's also important to recognise that there are lots of roles and jobs that people do where that's not you know, an option for them and, um, and they don't have that opportunity to, to work like that but certainly I think the people that are in those roles um, that, that can find the right balance, the right mix you know, is certainly um, you know, it's certainly becoming easier to do that by making some choices about splitting our time differently Perfect. Uh, thank you for your time, Gemma. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gemma, for joining us. It was uh, lovely speaking to you. I uh, hope you have a lovely day ahead. Thank you very much. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. So that was um, <clears throat> Gemma Ray from Mental Health UK, uh, who um, was a, a, the head of Wales for the Mental Health Foundation and also worked with children in need, Welsh Women's Aid and um, MLS. South Wales, um, a local homelessness prevention charity. So yeah, maybe we should give us some insight into um, you know the mental health issues, uh, why people are kind of changing their lifestyle to uh, more of a family-based uh, life, especially people which are which are you know over the fifty um, year mark. And uh, I mean, you're not fifty yet, but I think you 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 would probably also appreciate that kind of uh, lifestyle rather than working more. So what's motivating you to, um, you know, trying to trying to um, spend more time with your family and your parents? Uh, I mean, is, is work giving you too much stress? Um, what kind of question are you giving me? You know, we're in the same field. Um, but <laughs> I would say that um, I don't necessarily take stress from work. Um think mm-hmm. as long as you have a balance of you know having a routine um getting the stuff you need to get done um you know and i think especially if your family helps you out with the perspective that they understand what type of work you're doing um it helps out a lot um but i would say whenever you do have the time is to go spend time with family um that is also a way of um releasing any stress that you have from work um, mm. you know them talking to you having a conversation spending time eating together um, that does help um, yeah. you know I mean work life uh, it's, it's not just family life it's also your, your, your for example your own physical yeah definitely definitely um, that, that that includes into it man um, if you are working behind a desk job 
the whole day, which I am mm-hmm. basically. Um, I do take time in taking part in sports or anything that you know helps my body. Um, I I I say get um you know functioning again in terms of my joints etc. Um, playing football, going gym or whatever it is. Um, I I reckon even I had a period where I didn't go gym for or had played football for less two three months. So mm-hmm. I saw what effect they had during me working out, and that gap I had for two three months, I was mentally I was gone, physically I couldn't do anything. Um, and once I got back into the routine of regularly going gym or playing football or doing something, or even going for a thirty minute walk a day with your family, um, that helped out significantly in terms of the mood swings or whatever it was or the stress I've had from work. Or yeah. any circumstance, it's not even work stress. It could be family stress. It could be mm. certain stuff you're going through your life, right? Um, just to spend that extra minute or two with a person, or spending that on yourself, if it's regarding you know just taking some time away, and uh, you know focusing on yourself and uh, on your physical being, it helps out a lot. Yeah, you mentioned walking. Um, we had uh, I think a few months ago we had a program on this as well. That uh, one of the professors he mentioned that you know. People think mental health uh, is, is a difficult thing to cure, but he said, go outside and walk for 45 minutes every day and then report back to me in a week and you will see that your, you know, your, your, all your issues are slowly going away. And and the reason for that is that because it's it's a mental issue, right? It's nothing to do. You're not uh, physically disadvantaged. You're not, it's not a physical thing. It's in your head. So if you start going on walks, you're trying to you change your lifestyle a little bit. This will improve. Does you keep yourself busy? Yeah, you keep yourself busy because yeah. a lot of people have these thoughts. It's it's mostly just yeah, exactly. thoughts, isn't it? I think I think the impact that environments around uh, has around you. Um, we have access to everything nowadays, right? Anything you see across social media, anything, anything that has an impact on you mentally, if that does affect you in a way, mm. I think just take a break from that. Just go for a walk, twenty thirty minute walk. Um, I reckon you know you're not thinking about it anymore. Um, you know, even like you're talking about imbalance in work and life. Um, once you do get home, I reckon just put your phone away for an hour. Because nowadays we yeah, have man, the habit phone, of having your phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have my phone in my hand right now. <laughs> I, I, that's myself included. I'm not saying for anyone else. That's myself mm-hmm. included in terms of, you know, the te- technology that we have around. You go home. The first thing you have in your pocket is your phone. And it doesn't leave your pocket. Any vibration or message you get, you just pick it up straight away, right? Yeah. And that reading that message takes twenty seconds, but you, next thing you know, you're on your phone for the next hour. <laughs> you know that that times of that time you've used does affect you mentally, right? Mm. Um, I think you need to go out instead of like talking to people on on Instagram, Snapchat, socialize, or, or yeah, instead yeah. of so, using social media, use social in your in your real life. Yeah, exactly. Like, that that can be even in your own household with. with with your wife everything sometimes you see uh, you don't see but are you hey yeah. <laughs> I mean couples are on their phones and that's all they do they, they, they on, on they're watching something or texting someone even though they're sitting next to each other they should be spending time with each other exactly yeah. uh, going on walks has a great benefit even though it's a small thing it's a bit underrated um, but sports like I love sports if I don't do like just like you mentioned if I don't do anything for a few months that will just it's like a missing part in your life. Even if you don't do it for the week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, me and Usman play football once a week. Um, like we miss that weekly football out. It's like you can't move on for the next day of your of, of your weekend or whatever it is, right? It's, it's just mm. a part of your 
you know, when I, I admit you do need to take breaks from physical, you know, excessive exercise, but when there's a there's a pattern, there's a routine in place where you have football on Fridays, you go gym on certain days, you miss one or two days, mm. the next day doesn't go as well as it should be, right? Yeah. It's just because your body is so f- adapted in that change that you just think the following day is just going to be, the time even goes slower the following day, it doesn't go as fast <laughs> as it should be. So, yeah. yeah I yeah. remember like we used to be in Jamia in, 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 in our uni, uh, that was like football almost every day. Exactly. And yeah. When once you we graduated, now we now it's time to work, obviously, and then you don't have as much time. Yeah, uh, and your body to, starts changing as well. Yeah, your body starts changing. You can't play every day. Anymore. Yeah, you it's can't. Just, you you can't. downgrade, it it, even though toll. you want to. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah, don't have so the time anymore. Yeah, you don't, you don't have the you have time. a family to you know. Is that like work life balance? You have a family to go to. You have then you have to go work again the very next morning. Mm. Um, then you have to make time for yourself, whether it's football or gym, wherever it is. You don't have that time anymore to play football every day. That student life, as we call it. Yeah. Student life is no stress life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think every student, even even me, every student wants just wants to grow up. Yeah, know, exactly. Get, yeah. get rid of school, even yeah. though they don't realise this but is the time that, that of was, That was the time where you had no stress. So I would say no certain responsibilities where you had to mm. give time to anyone, um, you know. But like, like I said, that's how it was, yeah. Yeah, so it's all about moderation, you know, balance. And obviously in, in Islam, this is a very, very, very important thing because uh, in the Holy Quran as well and in, in different narrations of the Holy Prophet, um, you, you see so many instances where the Holy Prophet and the Holy Quran and God Almighty has told us about balance, about balance in everything. Uh, it, it, even uh, there's some verses mentioning the way you speak should be moderate. You know, it, it, it mentions that... Um, people you you shouldn't raise your voice so high um uh, and you shouldn't speak you know in kind of a whispering way either you should speak moderately and a few weeks ago i actually read an article about this that um that you, your your voice box in in your lung uh sorry in your throat uh, that that has a kind of a mechanism as well and the best it works is when you speak in a moderate tone if you scream, that damages your your um, voice, and if you're whispering, even that puts stress on on um, uh, on on the muscles that create the voice. So moderation in everything, and that commandment of the Holy Quran, speak in moderation. After so many like hundreds of years, now we are realizing that even that has a, uh, a you know a, a, um, a disadvantage in 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 your in your body. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he also stated that nobody has ever eaten a better meal than that which one has earned by working with one's own hands. And the Prophet used to eat from the earnings from his manual labor. So this is in terms of work life, that working is, is, this is part of your life. If you don't have work to do, your life will be you know even worse. So working has to be part of your life, but it does not have to be you know your whole life. Your life has to be balanced between work, uh, family, your own uh, health, even uh, leisure activities. I was listening to a, a, a professor. He was mentioning that um, some people uh, don't understand the importance of, of, of leisure activities. Now, if, if you like playing football, that's sports. But a leisure activity is is you just don't do anything. It's It's not a task for you. An activity which is not a task for you. If you are going to the gym because you need to stay fit, then that becomes a task. So you have to have a leisure activity in your day, which can be which can be even going on your phone, but it has to be very limited, you know, to half an hour, one hour. 
but you need to have something where you cool off you don't have to think about it it doesn't have to be a burden on you so one activity activity in a, in, in the day you also need to have we you might just sit around a lot of people do meditating uh yoga you know <laughs> i mean apparently it seems like you're doing nothing just sitting there you know closing mm. your eyes but uh, the the mental effect it has um it's it's huge it's it's helping you so much that you don't realize it and also uh, balance and moderation is vital in you know all things uh, another narration of the holy prophet sallam uh, peace be upon him where he em- emphasized the value of um a simple life you know s- some some narrations mention that a simple way of life is part of faith because um if you have extravagant things extravagant requirements and necessities you will always um struggle because at the end of the day they have to come from somewhere right i mean if you want a new phone but you can't afford it you're going to take a loan or you're going to borrow from someone you might get in installments that is a constant constant um burden on you that i have to pay it, i have to pay this um installment my my next weekly payment or monthly payment is coming up uh, obviously these are part of life but if you have a simple life you have less things to worry about isn't it so in the holy quran it also mentions that whatever good you do uh, allah will recognize its value so i just want to bring us at the end towards um towards what the purpose is uh, of of also this radio station of our lives of islam islam is not a, just a religion it's a way of life and islam teaches us i mean so many things which now are being discovered which are being which which, which are helpful and uh also the things islam has stopped us from for example alcohol um we are finding out now new research is coming out that it's it's more and more dangerous you know they it causes um fatigue causes lung cancer it causes skin cancer I mean, a- anything any cancer you can speak about i mean is somehow related to alcohol or smoking or these harmful things which islam stopped us from and what does islam tell us to do um you know it stops us from these things but what what are its commandments and the, the commandments are very simple the, the proclamation of faith la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah so firstly you have to recognize that there is a god and this is absolutely necessary because if 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 belief in god is not there then people can do whatever they want if if you are let's say i've mentioned this example before you are the most powerful person of a country you do something wrong nobody can stop you no nobody can harm you nobody can question you why did you do this so you can basically do anything you want and this uh, we can link this ex- exactly to uh to to the to the superpowers of the world or even to the Israel Palestine conflict where powerful people who have power they can do whatever they they can they want and the only thing which can stop them is a power above them so if if uh, Israel or, or Hamas is doing something wrong the the power above them maybe the United States or the United Nations they sh- they should step in and uh tell them that look you you have someone above you who's watching you so uh be careful but then if the united nations do something wrong then there has to be a power above them to stop them from doing something wrong from doing injustice and if you keep taking this up you go to the highest position um whatever court or whatever country or person that is that person does not have anyone above him 
And that this is where the belief of God comes in, that if you don't believe in God, that person, the only thing that person can fear, because he is the most powerful person in the world, the only thing he can fear is something out of this world. It's probably not aliens because we haven't met them yet. So that that, that is God Almighty. The, the the fact that God exists stops so many people from do, doing so many wrong things. And what does God demand in return? Uh, God Almighty says that, look, I've created you, I've given you... Uh, you know, this, I've given you this planet. I've given you all these things to live. I've given you happiness. Given you family. In return, you have to be grateful to me. And this is also part of moderation in life. That um, if uh, you you have also have to have moderation in your in your secular in your spiritual life, because meditation, for example, it's uh, physically not demanding. It's 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 not something. It's it's not a difficult thing. But mentally, it has a huge benefit to you. So in the same way, religion might seem like something extra to you, but it is part of life. It is, it has to be a part of everyone's life. This is why it has existed for like so many years. Yeah. So th- I mean, <laughs> talking about balance, you can talk about literally anything. But mm-hmm. uh, we are coming to the end of our show. Um, so do do you have any last few words for our listeners? Um, I'll finish off what the Holy Quran says is whatever you whatever good you do, Allah will recognize its value. The essence of good conduct is in moderation, balance, harmony, restraint, patience and forgiveness. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um uh, this brings us to the end of our show. So at the end I would like to uh thank our um the team which is, you know, putting this show together, our producers and the tech team, uh, you know, doing a lot of work behind behind the scenes. Uh, and the producer Simab Saiba, Simab Rahman, researchers Faiza, Safa, and um, Hassam, Walid, Amber, Kamal. Uh, thank you very much for putting the show together. Uh, also, tune in uh, tomorrow as we have a live breakfast show um, every day, um, uh, Monday to Friday, and also a drive time show at four o'clock um, today as well, four to six. And uh, also in 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 the coming days, we will have a special program about the Israel-Palestine conflict um, which is uh, which is such a you know sad time again in, in, in the life of, of, of in the history of this world uh, and uh, His Holiness as Nabi you know read out the, His um, His Holiness um, message that what we need to do is we need to pray for those people and uh, we need to uh, condemn the injustices that are being done from, from the you know the more powerful people the more powerful parties and uh, I mean, they need to understand that whatever they do in this world, you, they have to answer in the next world, whether you believe it or not. So um, let us pray for all the people, all the family suffering. And uh, thank you. Thank you for everyone uh, tuning in, listening to us. Uh, thank you, Nabil, for uh, joining us as thank well. You. And uh, yes, of course, thank you to the guests who always take our time in the morning and uh, join us and give us, uh, you know, new new things to think about and detailed answers. So thank you very much. And uh, this is it from us th- uh, today. Thank you very much. Have a nice day.